morning, Southfield. Would you please stand this morning? Sing out. We are going to begin this morning with the words that we've been saying um, to, to begin these this sermon series each week, and it searched my heart. And so let's make this more than a song. Search my heart and search my soul. There's nothing else that I want more. Shine your light and show your face in my life. Lord, have your
Welcome to Southfield. It's really, really good to have you here today. And um, I was noticing as we were just driving home one day and looking at the trees and they just look dead. I mean, I know they're not technically dead, and but they just look it, don't they? They look like, I mean, and how you just wonder, like, how can the grass survive under all that snow? And I know it's hibernating. I know, like, all this, there's science stuff involved. But from the outside, I just look, and I'm like, man, you would just think that all that snow and that cold and that frigid air would just kill that grass and just, you know, keep the trees from blooming again. And I just thought, it's so neat to have that hope and that, that thing to look forward to when the trees bloom again and the grass is green and the flowers come forth and they're alive. And it's just, it's such a great hope to have. And I thought, you know, it's so crazy because sometimes we go through things in our lives that seem to just kill us. You know, they just, they shut us down and it's so cold and it's so bitter. And it just, we feel like there's not a lot of life in us, but because of God, we have that hope that we're going to bloom again. We have that hope that he's going to restore what's been lost and he's going to bring us back to life. And I just think what an awesome promise, what an awesome hope that we have in him. And so when we when we sing those words today, that you're going to restore my life, it's true because he can do that. He can do whatever Whatever it takes to bring us back to life from whatever it is that has just, that has killed us spiritually or emotionally or physically. Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, he can restore us physically, but it's not, you know, it's in heaven once we're dead. I am so sorry. I'm totally messing this up. But the next song goes with this too. And it's just, you make all things work together for my good. And so it's awesome to know that whatever season that we're in, God's going to use it for my good and for his good too and for his glory. Let's sing. Side. Your love never 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this love, God, of yours that never fails. We thank you that you do not change, although the world around us is changing so rapidly we can hardly keep up. God, we thank you for your unconditional love, Lord, that loves us even before we knew you, God. We thank you for the love that you had for us when you formed us and created us and that you continue to have for us. And Lord, because of that love, Father, you want us to live holy lives. And Father, as you refine us through your word and you bring things to our hearts, God, and to our minds and show us the things that just don't please you, God, I pray that we wouldn't resist, Father, but we would just embrace your word and what you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Every day I do the same thing. Hit the gym, mainly to check out the hot guy in blue. Go to work, blah, blah, blah. Have a few drinks with my girls. Go home, read Fifty Shades of whatever. Kiss my husband goodnight, go to sleep, and dream of Channing Tatum. Every day, the same thing. Lust after the hot guy, blah, blah, blah. A few drinks, Fifty Shades, kiss my husband goodnight, dream of Channing Tatum. Lust. Drinks. Fifty Shades. Channing Tatum. Lust. Drinks. Fifty Shades. Channing Tatum. You think these sins are avoidable? If you ask me, I think they're absolutely necessary. Well, there's still time to walk out if you want. You know the topic of the day. I'm Dennis. Glad to see you here today. Glad you joined us. Last few weeks, we've been talking about necessary sins, and if you've not been here, you may be wondering where in the world your church has gone theologically, what's going on. 
what I'd like to do, if you've not been with us, just kind of catch you up. If you would replace the word necessary with acceptable, I think you get a pretty good idea of what we've been talking about. There's still universal agreement, even in our culture, that some actions are just wrong. Murder, rape, you know, there are certain things that people say, yeah, that should never happen. But there are other actions that are just kind of on a a cultural sliding scale. Many people, for example, find lying morally acceptable. Uh, Gossip, inappropriately spreading information is okay. It's no big deal to most people. Explosive temper is seen as a tool, a legitimate tool to get your way, to get things done. So things like that. These sins are, they're acceptable in modern life. Some people see them as necessary. But Culture doesn't determine the moral value of an action. God does. His word is the only legitimate measuring device. I love uh, Romans 12 too. I mean, it's just one of those, I don't want to call it a life verse, but it's probably one of those top 10 verses in the Bible that really guides my life. And the way Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of the Bible, the message is, is really beautiful. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. You know, don't just go along like a, like a dead carp floating down the dew page. Actually, remember that you're able to swim and go in the other direction. Don't just fit into your culture without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And that's the key. You've got to be looking at something. What are you looking at? You're looking at God. You're looking at God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Don't debate it. Don't take your time because if you take your time, you're going to get caught going in the wrong direction. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging it down to its level of maturity. And in the case we're talking about this morning, impurity, God brings the best out of you, developing well-formed maturity, well-formed purity in you. Romans 12, two lays out a clear choice. We can choose to fit into the mold of the culture around us, or we can to choose to do life God's way. Sin is, it's never necessary. It's never acceptable. There's always a choice to do the right thing. You don't have to choose to do that which is wrong. So at the beginning of every message in this series, we've been looking at a, a prayer of David, owning it for ourselves, from Psalm 139, beautiful psalm, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, not other people, you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So like we have other weeks, I'm going to just have you in silence. Take that verse for a moment. Own it as a prayer to God. Go ahead and do that. So right now, God, as we do come into your presence again, And I know we always live in your presence, but sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we just float. I pray that as as we're sitting here today, your word and your spirit would shine the light on our hearts and help us to see the areas where we're doing it our way or the world's way instead of your way and cause us as people who say, I'm a Christ follower, I want to follow Jesus to actually pursue you instead of our own desires. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the issue today that we're going to talk about is lust. Um, And we're going to focus specifically on what people think about when they hear the word lust, sexual lust. But I've got to be honest, the word lust is, it's much broader than a sexual issue. Let me give you a very simple definition of lust. Lust is misdirected desire. 
It's misdirected desire. God has placed in every person, every human being, a wide variety of legitimate desires. I mean, not just the desire for for intimacy, the desire to eat. God has placed in you hunger. We can use that desire in a way that is legitimate, or we can live off Big Macs, which are two for five dollars right now, in case you haven't noticed. We we can lust after food. We can lust after things other than sexual issues. It's a misdirected desire. So God's given us legitimate desires as human beings. And sometimes we rewire them. We decide, I'm going to go after it my own way. I'm going to go in my own direction. And this problem, of course, is when we take a legitimate desire God has placed within us himself, and we decide we're going to fulfill it our way rather than the way that he has prescribed in his standards, in his words. When our legitimate God-given desire for intimacy gets misdirected, it becomes sexual lust. You know, bad science has promulgated the myth that humans are animals. And rather than unique beings created in the image of God, which is exactly what the Bible says, sex is seen as simply a, a natural mechanism made necessary by evolutionary design in order to keep the race alive. It's void of moral guidelines. Sex is just nature's way of keeping the race on the planet. Without it, we'd be here for a generation And before you know it, uh, you know, the rabbits would be running the world. That's the way it would be. Animals do not think morally when it comes to sexual urges. The squirrels, the bunnies, everybody else in your yard don't think I should stick with one bunny for life. That's not the way they're wired, right? So if we're just animals, if we're just the animal at the top of the animal pyramid... Well, then why not just go ahead and operate the same way all other animals do? Generally, people tend to see lust as more of a male issue than a female issue. I mean, for most people, they're kind of thinking, why didn't you deal with this two weeks ago when you had the guys together? Why are we doing this generally today, talking to everyone? Well, according to an article in today's Christian Woman magazine, which I read regularly, not like lying was two weeks ago. I'm sorry. No, I don't. About one in every six women is addicted to pornography. Most people assume that's a male issue. And I got to admit to you, males are more like about 50% and maybe even higher than that. But one in every six women is addicted to pornography. And even more sobering, the highest rate of pornography users these days is between 12 and 17 years old. And I, you know, this isn't just an adult issue. It's not just a male issue. It's a human issue. If you have children in your home, this is something that you really need to give your full attention to. You can't hand your child unlimited internet access on computers and devices and iPhones and everything else and just expect that everything's going to be okay. Two realities make sexual lust a more volatile issue than than really ever before. And of course, the first is our access to explicit sexual material has never been higher. Okay, I, I get tired of pastors who, when they, when they hit their fifth decade, start doing the whole when I was a kid. But when I was a kid, way back in the day, if you wanted to access pornography, you had to go to Leader Drugs. You had to walk four blocks, and I had to walk in and look at a man named Bernie. Bernie, who from the time I was three months old, prescribed the medicine for my ear infections and everything else. Bernie, who, when I was a five-year-old, would come walking in hand-in-hand with my mom. Do you think I would walk in and look Bernie in the eyes as a 17-year-old and say, hand me one of those over there? 
No stinking way. It was too embarrassing. The access was much more limited. Not, not that it wasn't there. It was much more limited. Today, obviously, it's everywhere. It's on every computer, every mobile device, every smartphone. And besides that, the boundaries have been erased even on TV and movies and all forms of entertainment. It's there. It's there all the time. It's there so much, we don't even necessarily see it anymore. It's in our faces all the time. Add to this a second issue. Our resistance to the explicit has never been lower. The standard of what is acceptable has gone way down. Primetime TV is no longer safe for young eyes, let alone your eyes or anyone's eyes. It's bad news. Values continue to be eroded and redefined to the point that no one even thinks about the issues of purity anymore. So let me give you an example again from the Stone Ages. When I was a kid, there was a, there was a show on TV called Three's Company. A lot of you remember it or you've seen it in reruns. My parents would not let me watch that show. It was not permitted in our house. And, of course, I'd, you know, why? Everybody else watched. What's the big deal? They didn't like the concept that there were three unmarried people living together. And they thought that would soften my standards toward being together with another person for life. And, you know, I, as a kid, I'm like, what's the big deal? Now, you think about it today. Any TV show you watch, two people are in a bed. You don't even think twice. Are they married are they unmarried? What's their relationship? We have, we've gone from a time that we were sensitive to issues to just, ah, eh, whatever. It's just the way it is. That's the way life is. And, and we don't have any choice. It's acceptable. It's a necessary sin. It's just out there. We've gone all the way down in our standards. You know, as we read Romans 12, we Christ followers... We Christ followers, that verse wasn't written, the lost people. We Christ followers find ourselves so well adjusted to our culture that we're fitting in without even thinking about it. We're just going along. There's something wrong with the way we're living. God has a higher standard, a much more desirable standard for our lives. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, we're supposed to take what Jesus says seriously. We don't say, I'm a follower of Jesus and everything he says is optional. I, I pick and choose. I a la carte it. Oh, don't like that verse. Love this one. doesn't work that way. We're all in or we're not if we're followers of Jesus. So if you go to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something interesting. This is that passage known as the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. Yeah, agreed. But I say, Jesus says, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Are you catching what he's saying here? He places looking lustfully at another person on the same plane as the physical act of adultery. He raises the standard because what he's saying is the physical act of adultery isn't the biggest deal here. It's the, the, more, the more substantial issue is the issue of the heart. As followers of Jesus, we're compelled to agree with his words. What Jesus says is sin is sin. There's no such thing as innocent lingering stares. I don't, I don't have to act physically on my misdirected sexual desire in order for my impulses to become sin. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, James is the, the half-brother of Jesus, and he writes these words in his epistle. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. These words are packed with just powerful imagery. He helps us to understand that sin isn't only wrong, sin is dangerous. Sin is, it's insidious. Catch the the part that he says there, when it is allowed to grow, when it is allowed to grow. In the context of lust, that's exactly what we do when we're just consumed by a sexual idea and we won't let it go. It's, It's allowed to grow into sin. We provide fertile ground in which noxious weeds have the chance to flourish when we just when we just dwell on it and think about it and linger there. We need to stop the growth dead in its tracks. We need to confess the sin and we need to protect ourselves from going there. The end of the passage talks about death. It says it gives birth to death. What dies? Oh my goodness, all kinds of things. Purity dies. Intimacy with your spouse dies. Desire for your spouse dies. Trust between two peoples dies. And ultimately, we succumb to spiritual death, which is the worst of all. When temptation grows into sinful actions and is left unchecked, it is incredibly destructive. And if you don't believe it, just keep feeding it and see where your life ends up. It always, always, always ends in a mess. It ends in death. Lust is void of intimacy. It is void of depth of connection and is void of spiritual life with God. The lustful path leads to death. The message of our culture is just the opposite. That's where you find life. That's where you find fun. The message of our culture is a lie. The message of our culture is wrong. It is not just the culture speaking, by the way. It's the enemy of your soul that is feeding you that fantasy. It's the enemy of your soul that's trying to get you to believe that lie. Again, look at the carefully crafted words of James. He says that sin which entices us and drags us away, your soul's enemy, is like a skilled fisherman. And he's just casting bait in your direction all day long. He's got lures, and he's just, he's just casting them all day long. And you see it, and it looks good, and it is only when you bite that you feel the pain. It's only when you bite that you realize there's a hook in there. Your enemy knows the area of vulnerability in your soul. He knows the enemy of vulnerability in your life. You know, maybe you're just bored in your current relationship. The enemy knows that, and he casts an idea in your direction that seems more exciting and more appealing. Maybe you're feeling empty and alone, and the enemy casts bait toward you that seems to promise promise fullness and companionship companionship. Maybe the enemy, he just knows your past. He knows where you were as a teenager and as a young adult. And in light of that, he's trying to convince you at 40, 45 years old to return to the good old days, return to being a kid all over again. And he casts that lure in front of you. Perhaps you feel undervalued. You feel unwanted by your spouse. And Satan throws the idea in your path that you don't have to feel unwanted anymore. There's someone else out there that would want you. You don't have to feel that way. Do you see how this works? He's an angler. He's a deceiver. He wants to entice you, to drag you away from God's plan for your life. The word entice here literally means to hook. 
It's a fishing term. James uses a fishing term. Now, I watch my fair share of fishing shows. And one of the things I watch with all these master anglers is the way they set the hook. And I'm always blown away that they set it a lot more strongly than I would. You know, I kind of just, they're, you know, they're really, they, they plant that hook as, as hard as they can. It's forceful. It's deliberate. And if a fish had a brain and could really reason things out, you'd love to have a conversation after they got caught. So you saw the lure, and you know, what, what was it like to bite on that? And boom, all of a sudden you felt searing pain in your lip, and you tried going in the direct, other direction, and you had no option. You were being pulled toward the boat the whole way on in. You see, the fish at that point is at the mercy of the angler. They have no choice. So let's dig into this a little bit. How do we get hooked? That enemy, he's, he's throwing the lures out there. How do we get hooked? How does this work in our lives? Well, it starts with this word. We're exposed. There's some point in our life that there's exposure to sexually explicit situations. And honestly, it's often innocent, and it's unplanned, and it's uninvited. It can be as simple as seeing an image on the line. It can be as simple as seeing an advertisement. TV, mail comes, and a catalog comes, and you open a page, and you go, Whoops, what was that? And here you go. So there's that exposure. It may have been a a misguided moment with a childhood friend playing doctor. And before you know it, you're going, something's not right here. You know, there's exposure going on. Maybe you were at a party with someone and there was a silly suggestion that that led to an activity that led to extremely uh, sexually hyper-suggestive activity. Maybe clothes came off, all that sort of thing. Perhaps you went to a friend's house And there were sexually explosive materials were not guarded at that place the same way they were guarded at your place. Somewhere along the line you were exposed. Let me give you a a story from from my childhood. My dad worked at a at a factory where they made abrasives, put them in big barrels, put them on the truck, sent them on out. He wanted me to see what he did. So one day he takes me to work, and we're walking along this grate. And at the end of the grate, there's a locker. And on the locker is a picture from the center of a magazine, and it wasn't good housekeeping. There it is, clear as day. And I look, and to this day, I cannot believe that my eyes did not pop out and fall straight onto the grate. I mean, I just look, I'm like... Oh, my word. I'm young enough that I'm going, that's a girl. But I don't know what the rest of that stuff is. Oh, my word. And the rest of the trip through that factory, I'm walking like this. I am not kidding. I'm just like, I don't know where it's going to be. But I'm keeping my head down, man. But at that moment, it was uninvited. I didn't know it was coming. And there it was. And in our society, that's the way it's working all the time. There's some exposure that takes place. And we're not ready for it. Some of you went through exposure in your life that was uninvited, and it was devastating. It came at the hand of someone who was incredibly inappropriate toward you. Someone betrayed your innocence, and at a young age, you lost something that was really special to you. There's exposure that takes place on all levels. Sometimes it's violent and horrible, and sometimes it is just uninvited, and whoops, what was that? I didn't even realize was coming. So first you're exposed, and with that exposure comes an injury. You're injured. Our minds go from pure to polluted. We go from innocent to wounded. Something in your thought process from there forward is not the same. Exposure to impurity causes a sustained injury in our minds and in our hearts. And what happens then, we go from the exposure to the wound 
to that pain to confusion. We find ourselves just confused. Mixed feelings enter in. We simultaneously experience enjoyment and shame. I like this, but I feel guilty. Something doesn't feel right. We have a deep sense of inner conflict. And it's at this point that many of us start to rationalize our behavior. You know, I know I shouldn't, but if my spouse met my needs, I wouldn't have to do this. If it was wrong, why did God give me these urges? It must be okay. Some will even go as far as to blame God for their choices. I was made this way. I have no choice. We find ourselves over time living between seasons of of sexual sobriety and just absolute sexual binges where we bite the lure and the enemy drags our soul at will wherever he wants. The exposure led to an injury and the injury leads to confusion. And by the way, if you're single, I know this is a great myth. Many singles believe that the day they get married, all these problems will be gone. Yay, finally, finally, I won't, I won't lust anymore. Finally, I'll be home free. I'll have a spouse and I won't have these issues. And sadly, there are a lot of singles afterward that realize that those urges are as powerful as ever. Why is this? Because there's an injury in your life that needs to be addressed. It's been covered. It's been coped with. But it's never been healed. So what do we do? We justify it and just say, that's the way I am. It's a necessary sin. Everybody's doing it. I don't have a choice. Do we just surrender to it? Well, I got to tell you, if I told you that was the answer today as a pastor, I'd be committing spiritual malpractice because I don't think the answer from the Bible is just surrendering, just justifying it. The words of Jesus provide a better way. They provide a way of freedom, a way of purity, a way of healing the injury. So I want to give you two words Two words that really summarize what Jesus said we're supposed to do when it comes to this woundedness in our life and when it comes to the issue of sexual purity. And the first word is this. We need protect. We need to protect. We need to protect the wound. We need to protect it from getting exposed and getting injured and getting infected. God heals wounds. But we need to provide protection from the wound getting infected by exposure. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. One version says, it's the wellspring of life. Everything that you're about flows out of your heart. I don't know if you're familiar with Andersonville Prison. It was a Confederate prison used to house Union soldiers. Over 14 months, 45,000 Union soldiers went through Andersonville. And during that same period... 13,000 of the 45,000 died. Uh, this, historians tell us that this camp had horrifying parallels to the death camps of Hitler's Germany. The only source of water at Andersonville was a slow-flowing stretch of the Sweetwater Creek that ran through the prison yard. From this water, the prisoners took their drinking water and they deposited their waste. They were forced to bathe in that water They were forced to do everything that water. Many of the prisoners in that place died of dysentery. I I don't think I have to say this, but I'll say it. It is unwise to pollute your own drinking water and then drink from it. It can kill you if you do that. From your heart flows your life, all that you do. Why would you pollute the water source of your life 
and expect then to have purity flow from it. It just doesn't work that way. We have to protect the water source of our life. We have to protect our hearts. We have to protect that easily infected wound. How do we do this? Well, you see Psalm 119.9. David writes, how can a young man, for that matter, how can anyone keep his way pure By guarding it according to your truth. See that word again? Guarding it, protecting it. So here's the way Jesus says to protect your heart. We already looked at the the first part of this paragraph, verses 27 and 28, that talk about adultery as even just lusting. Look at 29 and 30. Jesus says, so if your eye, even your good eye, which if you're about 12, you don't understand that, but about now, even your good eye causes you to lust, Gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your good hand, even your stronger hand, your writing hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying radically protect your injury. Radically protect your injury. These words were not literal. He did not expect Southfield to be a congregation of single-handed cyclopses. You know, we wouldn't be more godly today if we were all walking around. That's not what he's saying here. He's using hyperbole, extreme figurative exaggeration to make an extreme point. Do everything you can. Do everything you can to protect yourself from sexual impurity. Do all you can to steer yourself from harm. Take every precaution to protect the wound. Do everything you can. And I have to admit, as I talk to believers, this is where the breakdown occurs. Because we're not willing to be radical. We're not willing to take Jesus seriously. We want to dabble and think we'll be okay. We want to defecate in our water source, the water source of our souls, and pretend that the water is safe to drink. When the Apostle Paul talks about temptation, he usually says, fight it, resist it, except for sexual sin. When he talks about sexual sin, you know what he says? He doesn't say fight. He says flee. He doesn't say resist. He says run. Run for your life. Keep a wide distance from anything, anything that might infect the injury. And you know what? One of the greatest lies of our times is, and I hear it way too much, I can handle it. I can handle it. I'm old enough. I can handle it. I'm mature enough. I can handle it. I got news from you for you. You're human. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. None of us can handle it. You're lying to yourself if you think you can handle it. You're exposing your injury to infection if you think you can handle it. You're not gouging out your eye. You're not cutting off your hand if you, if you think you can handle it. You're loitering. You're lingering. And in time, the right lure is going to be thrown in your direction. And you're going to bite And you're going to feel the searing pain in your lip and realize you've been caught and you're going to be dragged away and filleted by Satan himself. Second Samuel is so helpful with this. I mean, we have the anatomy of David's adultery in second Samuel. In these first four verses, we see a pattern that is that is just repeated over and over and over again. Verse one tells us this, that David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Verse 1 tells us that in the spring, kings went off to war. And this particular year, David says, you all go do it. I'm staying home. He was supposed to be out fighting. 
How often do we get in trouble because we're not where we were supposed to be? Whether literally, physically, or spiritually, we weren't where we were supposed to be. We're already, I mean, you read verse 1. If you're just reading along in the book and you've never read anything else, you read verse 1 and you go, what in the world's going on there? What's happening there? Why isn't David going off to war? Verse 2. It's the afternoon, he's taking a rest, he gets up, he walks out on his balcony, and his house, the palace, is at the top of the hill, and everything else goes down, everything from there, and people didn't have patios, they had roofs, and they did things on the roofs, and one of the things they might do on the roof is take a bath in the cool of the day, and he looks down and he sees a woman taking a bath. The sin was not seeing Bathsheba. Sometimes, hey, there was no sin in me walking down walking down the grate and going, Oh, my word. There it was. Here's the sin. When I keep looking and looking and looking, and then I turn the corner and I keep looking and looking and looking and keep it going and going and going, the sin was the second look. The sin was the loitering. The sin was allowing that seed to get into his heart and just take its place and grow. The sin was not exposure. The sin was the second look. And in verses 3 and 4, what does he do? He acts on it. He goes for it. And I you know, said this the other day in the men's thing that we had. Most chronologies of the life of David put this event in his life between 50 and 55 years old. Get out of your mind that this is David, the sexually wild 24-year-old. 50 to 55 years old. Now, if you have a parent that's in your 50s and 55, you're thinking... That part's over, right? Boom, that's done. 50 to 55 years old. That's when David, that's when David was in trouble. Most of us think that if we make it to 50, we'll finally be sexually free. Yay! When I'm in Florida as a youth pastor, there was a former missionary who would come and meet meet with our board. He was almost 80 years old. And he said, Every time I go walk the beach, I can't help look. I can't help lust. And then he went on to tell us the rest of what he did. And I'm sitting there going, you're almost 80. And I'm like, you know, 22. You're almost 80 and you're still having this issue? Are you kidding me? Really? But then there was this other thing going through my head. Why the heck are you going to the beach? Stop it. Just stop going to the stupid beach. Cut off your hand. Gouge out your eye. Quit putting yourself in the place that the problem comes. Stop falling for Satan's lure. Listen to Christ's truth. Take radical measures to protect the wound in your heart. I could spend about a half hour, and I won't, talking about the practical ways in modern times that we go about cutting off the hand and gouging out of the why. There are so many radical measures we need to take, whether it be TV, technology, you name it. There are radical measures we can take. One of the things I encourage you to do, boys and girls, is to train your eyes to bounce. Train your eyes. You're going to see stuff. You don't have a choice. Train your eyes to bounce. So, I, 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 this is about as gross as I'm going to get this morning, okay? You're a boy. You're walking up to a girl. There are certain parts on a girl that are in about the same location on every woman. Generally, (laughs) my eyes don't go there. I know they're going to be there. They're there almost every time. 
I don't go there. Keep your Look into the person's eyes. You, you, you go to the gym, master the color of people's eyes. Look at their eyes. You don't have to look. Train your eyes to bounce. You train your eyes to be pure. You teach your eyes to be pure. It doesn't just happen. You teach your eyes to keep them here and above. That's part of cutting off your hand and gouging out your eye. And some of you are saying, that's ridiculous. Get ready for a lure. Get ready for a lure. You have to be radical, absolutely radical about this, this stuff. You, we, we heard this in the, in the men's thing. It was great. You need to make decisions when you're strong about how you'll protect yourself when you're weak. It's when you're strong that you make the good decisions about how you're going to live your life. And understand this, you're only as strong as you are honest. A lot of people just lie through their teeth about this stuff. You're only as strong as you're honest. So we need to protect ourselves. There's another thing we need to do. It's not only to protect, there's another side. And that's the word pursue. Protect is about defense. Pursue is about playing to win. So I want you to do this with me. I know we're talking about sexual stuff, so this might freak you. Shut your eyes. Shut your eyes. Do it, everybody. You're sinning if you're not. No, I'm kidding. Try not to think about chocolate chip cookies. Do it. Nobody in the room is allowed to think about chocolate chip cookies. Okay, open your eyes and what do you see? (laughs) Yeah, chocolate chip cookies, they're everywhere, right? Of course, they're everywhere because they're on the screen. But whenever we take that mode of trying to not do something, not think about something, what do you do? You obsess over it. I'm not eating any cookies. I'm not, where can I buy cookies? I mean, we get in, we get in that mode. Uh, you, you can't just think about what you're not going to do. You've got to think about what you're going to do. I love 2 Timothy 2.22. It says, run from anything that stimulates useful lusts. And then he uses the word. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Paul lists both the defense run, get away from it, and an offense, pursue certain things, pursue God, pursue righteousness, pursue the right things. And part of what I love is the way he ends, pursue the right friends. Pursue friends that will keep you going on the right path. So you need friendships in your life on this thing. Friendships, people who share your values, people who are willing to gouge out an eye and cut off a hand. People who would never suggest, hey, let's go watch a skin flick. People who are fun. Well, you're, you're, you're friends with couples, fun, but we never flirt. We know that we're not going to do that together. Friends who can keep a confidence. So if you admit something, it's not going to be blabbed throughout all the Southfield. Friends who will call you on stuff if they see your heart wandering. Friends who will respect And challenge you on issues of purity. We need those kinds of friends. In these days, we need those kinds of friends desperately. Find those friends. Be that friend. I want to close with this passage from Ephesians 4. It's just been been battering me for days. It says, with the Lord's authority, Paul says, live no longer like the Gentiles do. In other words, he's saying, "Don't don't live like the pattern of the lost world. For they're hopelessly confused. You think that might describe a little bit of America right now, sexually? Hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. 
because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, we could look at that verse and, you know, curse the darkness and talk about what's going on out there. But here's the part that scares me. For a lot of us, when we're not cutting off the hand, when we're not gouging out our eyes, you know what we're doing? We are closing our minds and hardening our hearts to God. And in time, we're willing to go places that as a younger person or a more spiritual person, we never dreamed we would have gone. We never dreamed we would have gone there. But we allow ourselves to go there now because over time, we become more and more desensitized and more and more hardened to God. That's my greatest fear for us, that we would grow hardened toward him instead of staying sensitive toward him. If you continue to see lust as a necessary sin, in time your heart will be hardened. Your mind will close and your heart is going to grow cold. You'll be hopelessly confused, exchanging the truth of God for a lie. Today you can turn back. It's not too late. It's not over. You can turn back. Again, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without thinking on it. Thinking. What does he say? Instead, Fix your attention on God. Do the positive thing. Don't just say, I'm not going to look at the cookies. Get your eyes on God. Get yourself in spiritual friendships that take you in the right direction. So why don't you go ahead and pull out your card in your, in your folder. If you haven't written your name on it yet, go ahead. And you're like, oh, you want me to write my name on it? And you're talking about lust? Uh, don't worry. None of the questions are going to ask you to identify every sexual sin you've ever committed. Breathe, Okay. But there's some commitments I think we need to make today. The first one is this. Take it where you will. I admit that I've been far too casual about not guarding my heart. If that's you, check it off. Admit it to God today. I've been too casual about this. Second, I realize today I've become become so adjusted to my culture that I don't even think anymore. I just go along. The third one's tough. And if you're going to check it, you better mean it. I'm ready to take radical steps. I mean, gouge out the eye, cut off the hand. I'm ready to take radical steps to keep my heart pure. And then the final one comes down to that friendship issue. Would you make the commitment today to say, I will pray for my family. I'll pray for my friends on this particular issue. Not because you know they're doing something wrong, but because you know they're human. And they're vulnerable to the lures of Satan, just like anyone else. And so we're going to start committing to pray for each other for protection in this particular area. Let's talk to God together. Lord God, what a, what a dangerous, dangerous area of our lives these days. I mean, it's just, man, we're falling for all kinds of junk that we shouldn't. We're believing lies of Satan and we're chomping on the lures that he's throwing in our direction. We need your forgiveness for things we've done, and we know that forgiveness is available. But God, we need, we need the courage, the, the, the fortitude to say, I'm done playing around. I'm done believing that I can defecate in the water of my soul and drink from the same water and be pure. Help us to be much more radical. Not telling other people what to do. We're talking about our own heart. We're talking about our own life protecting myself, protecting that wound, keeping it clean from infection so that I get the privilege of living the kind of life you wanted from me in the start. 
God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our servers are going to come now and give us communion, and we're going to be singing as we do. Jesus to 
you haven't taken communion, please do so now. Um, I'm stealing the mic from my sister so I can take away her thunder, as I often do. Um, but it is for good reason, uh, this time at least. Uh, doing one last announcement for the 30-hour famine, which is this Friday. Uh, again, if you look on your bulletin, the link to the website. Oh, yeah. I guess if the offering would like to come forward, the servers will come receive that. Um, thank you. Uh, anyway, the link to our to the warehouse uh, 30-hour famine page is on the front of your bulletin, so you still have time to sponsor our team, help us out in that way. Um, again, as you, on your way out, if your kid is doing the 30-hour famine, we need them to sign a consent form, or we need you to sign a consent form for them. Um, so grab that on your way out. Uh, if you don't grab one this morning, it'll be coming home with them after warehouse this week. On the back is the list of things that they need to bring, uh, along with some information on when to be there and when it's ending, all that. Again, if you're not in a position that you can give uh, financially to, to our group, uh, there's still a huge need for us to, you know, we need prayer uh, through that because it's going to be a really tough thing, so pray for us. Uh, we also need a, f- a few things before we even do the event. If you have a tent, we would greatly appreciate it if uh, we could use that for the event. So if you have that, uh, let me know. Uh, and also, we're going to need a lot of water and a lot of bottles of Gatorade. So if you are willing to help in any way um, that I just described, please catch me after the service. I'll be right out front at the table uh, on your way out. So let me know, and we can do that. So thank you. All right, we're going to finish up with the last song. So please stand and join us as we sing.
and we'll see you next Sunday. The Valley